0: And we will be looking here for the first time in this chapter, as we continue now our preaching through the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 12, and if you found your place, I ask you to stand with us, we'll reverence the word of God. Are we doing all right back there, Brother Sam? All right. I had turned that mono back up because if it's down, they won't hear on Facebook. Yep. All right. Technical difficulties. Romans chapter number 12. The Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, we bow in your presence today and we thank you, Lord, for all that our hearts have have received and all that our ears have heard. And Lord, we're grateful, Father, for the worship of the saints of God We ask you that as we look now to the Word of God and we continue in this service, that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts, I pray, for every believer that's here, that, Lord, they would be challenged and strengthened in their faith, that, Lord, there would be resolve, Lord, to serve you faithfully and fully in every area of our lives. Lord, I pray for those who may be in our midst, even the young ones that are not saved, Lord, I pray that if there be one in our midst, unconverted, that, Lord, they would hear the Word of God today, not with the hearing of the ear, but with the hearing of the heart, and that, God, today, Lord, you would deal with them in mercy, that, God, they would respond to you in faith, and they would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us, and we would ask, God, that you might be magnified in our time together here today, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I want to preach this morning on the thought, the result of grace. That would be the title of our message, the result of grace. And uh, just by way of introduction, let me remind us what we have already looked at in the book of Romans in the previous 11 chapters. We have just gone through these these verses of Scripture uh, that have presented to us the Gospel according to the Holy Spirit. And it was penned by the hand of Paul, but we all know that all Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable uh, for us. It is profitable for us to bring us correction, and to bring us reproof, and to bring us instruction in righteousness. But the first of that list is to give us doctrine. And as the Word of God has been laid out in these first 11 chapters, we have been presented with a a thorough cover. uh, He has covered thoroughly the doctrine of salvation. And so, What is the culmination of everything that we have already heard, that we have already received from the first 11 chapters? What is the consummation of the glorious truths of the gospel of grace? What what is the product? What should it produce in me and what should it produce in you? Who understand more fully, who understand more deeply, who have a greater appreciation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the result of grace? It's service. It's service. And that is what the Apostle is going to pick up with in chapter 12 and primarily deal with from this point to the end of this book. From chapters 12 to 16, he is going to write to the saints at Rome, and God the Holy Spirit is going to write to the saints at Indian Mission that how we are to respond to such glorious truths of God's amazing grace is through service. We have seen the darkness and the depth and the depravity of sin. In chapters 1-3, through 3, we could go back and read verses from there that depict for us the condition of man apart from God. Both the religious world and the pagan world were both concluded under sin in that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We see the depth of man's depravity on display in chapter 1 and in chapter number 2. We see the extent of darkness that has veiled the eyes of men and women and brought them into bondage in their sin. We've seen sin. We've seen the absolute, atoning, amazing work of God's amazing grace that is abundant for all who will believe in salvation. From chapters 3 to 5, we are presented in the book of Romans with the glorious doctrine of salvation, justification by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And how God takes sinners who are in their sin and rebellion against Him and brings them into a right relationship with God by saving them through grace. We've seen the permanent and the providential And the progressive sanctification of God in chapters 6 and 7. And you see that as we've studied how that God begins to work in man. That man, that woman, that child whom God has saved, He begins to work into their heart sanctification a desire to live for God and a change of action in service to the Lord that we no longer continue in sin that grace may abound. God forbid. Let that thinking be far removed from all of us. But the same grace that comes to us revealing Christ in salvation is the same grace that comes to us according to Titus teaching us that denying all ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly, righteously, and and godly in this present world. We have seen the favored, fascinating, and fruitful work of the Holy Spirit in chapter 8. The spirit life of the believer who is indwelt by the third person of the Trinity when God saves us, we are indwelt by the Spirit. And it's not necessarily a a mystical thing, but it is a miraculous thing that the third person of the Godhead would take up residence and abide in every believer. And so in Him living within us, He guides us in the truth. He gives us understanding from the Word of God. He convicts us when we sin. He becomes to us what our conscience could not be. And that is, He gives us the power not only to know what is sin, but to be able to be delivered from that sin. We have seen all of the powerful, all-sufficient and all-knowing ways of a sovereign God in chapter 9, 10, and 11, and have come to the conclusion as the Apostle did in verse 33 of chapter 11, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out! That's just a simple outline to the book of Romans. It's a book that deals with sin, salvation, It deals with sanctification, the Spirit-filled life, the sovereignty of God, and where we begin today, our response to all of that, Christian service. The result of God's grace is service. It's service. It's not what we get, but it's what we give You need to think about that. Write that down. Put that in your thinking. Too many people think that the way to experience the victorious Christian life is they need to get something more. They need to have something extra. One man said it this way, the key to powerful living is not getting something more, but giving all we have to Jesus. That is the key to powerful Christian living. I just ruined it for all of the Christian authors out there who have all of these books on Christian bookshelves all across this country telling people how to live a more powerful Christian life. I just gave you the secret. It's not a secret. It's in the Word of God. Paul gave it to us 2,000 years ago. The Spirit of God had it penned by inspiration for you and I. The key to powerful Christian living, victorious Christian living, is not getting something more, but it's giving everything, You have and everything you are to God. It's service. It's service. There's so many people in the world that think if I could just get a better job, if I could just have more significant finances, if I could just have a more meaningful relationship with somebody, if I could have success and acceptance among my peers if I could just have more things in my life, things that would make me happy, oh, I could really live the Christian life better. But Paul says it's not by what you get, it's by what you give that makes you able to live the Christian life effectively and with power for the glory of God. It's not what you get, but what you give. God says, give me yourself. And I will give you the power to live the Christian life for my glory. There's a lot of churches out there that say if we could just get a better building, if we could have a bigger budget, if we could maybe find a more relevant preacher. Sorry, you're stuck with me. If we could just, you know, get a larger crowd if we could have more societal influence, if we were more relevant, more prestigious, if we had more notoriety, if we had more popularity, we could be a better church, we could be better Christians. God says no. No, remove that thinking from your mind. Take that thought and cast it as far as you can away and run in the other direction This kind of thinking is contrary to the Bible. It is not what we get, but what we give. God says, I want you. God wants you today. He wants me today. He wants us to submit ourselves to Him in Christian service. And when we do that, He will empower us to live the Christian life. There's even some forms of religion that say, well, to really be a powerful quick Christian, you have to do certain things. You have to seek for certain things. You have to have experienced certain things. There's additions to Christ that they placed there. And, and by, by receiving those things or experiencing those things, you can live the Christian life with power and you can overcome. But that's not what the Bible's saying here, is it? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body. A living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. On the basis of everything that you have just heard, everything that you have just learned from the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is telling us that we are to serve God. That is the result of grace. That is the result of God's love in an individual's life. Well, let me give you a few proof verses, a few places in the Bible that really confirm, they, 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 they back up what I'm saying, lest you begin to think that I've lost it and I'm just making something up. We see it in this text and we'll come back to it, but look with me at John chapter number 4. John chapter 4, and we all should be familiar with this portion of Scripture. This is the scene, the setting, and the Word of God when Jesus confronts that woman of Samaria at the well. He begins to tell her all things about herself that she didn't think anybody knew about. But in their conversation, she talks about how her forefathers had worshipped God and and how the Jews had worshipped God and the different locations of of where they worshipped God and the different manners in which they worshipped God. And you'll remember Jesus told her this. He said, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh and now is. Chapter 4, verse 23, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Notice the next phrase For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Let me say, God is in need of nothing, He is God. If he needed anything, he would not be God. But God does have holy desires. And He has a holy desire that you and I worship Him in spirit and in truth. We find that the result of knowing God, experiencing His love, and receiving His grace has as its fruit. The result of it is worship. Worship is service. Service unto God. God wants us to worship Him. He wants us to serve Him based on our knowledge and understanding of who He is and what He's done for us. Notice also with me, 2 Corinthians 5.14, I thought about this verse. Paul there and he's speaking of fixing to begin speaking on the subject of reconciliation. He's going to use the word very uh, multiple times from verses uh, fourteen all the way to the end of that chapter. But as he talks about the grace of God and the reconciliation of God and how it transforms the believer, he says at the beginning of that that train of thought: "For the love of Christ constraineth us." Constraineth us. The word constraineth means it it. it it brings about something in our life. It's a word that carries the idea even of force and pressure. That God will put force upon us. He will put pressure in our life to put us in the way that He would have us to go. The result of grace is service. The result of love is worship. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. This verse came immediately to mind as I was studying this out. There, Paul again reminding the church at Corinth about how they were to give. They had promised to give a love offering to another church that was being persecuted. They would not yet done so. And so he begins to uh, exhort them to, to be faithful to what they've said, to be a people of their word. And he uses the churches of Macedonia as the example and uh, as the, 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 the people to spur on the church at Corinth. And this is what he says about them. That they first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They first gave themselves. Why did they give themselves first? Before they even gave their money, they gave themselves. There's a lot of people that will just throw their money at God as if God needs their money. God does not need our money this morning. He wants us. But when He gets us, He'll have our wallet and He'll have everything else too. But but the point is this. These believers first gave themselves in light of all that God had done for them, all that Christ had given them by grace, by salvation, they gave themselves to the Lord. That is in essence what our text is saying today. Present your body a living sacrifice to the Lord. Give yourself to God. On the basis of all He's done for you to purchase your redemption, to save you from your sin, to give you eternal life, live for Him now, serve Him now, give Him all that you are. Well, one more verse, First Peter. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Here Peter, speaking to those saints scattered abroad under heavy persecution, he reminds them of their position in Christ, and he says this about to them Ye also as lively stones. Lively stones. Now, he's fixing to use a lot of Old Testament imagery, and of course, he's can, going to use the imagery of the temple. The temple was built by what? By stones, brick, and mortar. Well, we're the temple of God now, but we're not just made out of old rocks and mortar and and sticks. We're made alive. We're living in Christ. We are living stones. We are a living temple unto God. And you and I are to present our bodies as a temple of the Lord which He owns, which He possesses, and give Him the absolute, complete, full reign and sway of our lives. Even as God indwelt the temple in the Old Testament, He indwells the believer in the New Testament as a living stone, as a living temple, and we are to give ourselves completely to Him. He is to abide in us. He is to have the full rights to every aspect of our life. No closets, no doors, no rooms, no areas are off-limits to God, to a child of God who has surrendered himself to service in God completely. And so he says, ye as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and notice the next imagery he uses and holy priesthood And so, again, that's Old Testament typology. The priest was to bring the sacrifice there before the Lord, and they were to worship the Lord in that manner. They were to not only sacrifice, but they were to pray on behalf of the people of God in the Old Testament. Well, as we enter into the New Testament, we learn that you and I as believers are individual believer priests. We pray for ourselves. We don't have to have a priest to pray for us. I'm glad we can call on brothers and sisters in Christ and say, hey, I'm facing something in my life. I've got a heavy burden. Would you pray for me? I'm glad that you have the ability, if you so choose to call upon me as your pastor. I have the ability to call upon other preachers and say, hey, I've got a need in my life. Help me pray about this. But I'm really glad that I don't have to have somebody else. I don't have to simply rely on somebody else to pray for me. I can pray for myself. I can enter into God's presence and pray. And that's what he's saying. We're a holy priesthood. But notice he says to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices. He says this, that are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. The word to offer up, it is akin to the word in our text that we're going to come back to. That is the word here to present. Present. We are to present our bodies. He says, present your body. Here we are to present, or we are to offer up. The word offer up means to bear, or to carry up. It is the word that was used in the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament, translated into the Greek... This is the Greek word that they used whenever they would represent the Old Testament picture of the priest going up to offer the sacrifice upon the brazen altar. And so that's the idea of this word. To offer up spiritual sacrifice is to come before God as a believer priest in prayer and say, Lord, I am giving myself to You. It is to offer up spiritual Sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices. We are to offer ourselves up. In other words, we are to consecrate, dedicate, in heart, mind, soul, and spirit, everything that we are, we are to give a spiritual sacrifice, not an animal sacrifice. God doesn't require that we go out and that we kill a lamb and that we skin it and that we cut it up into pieces and that we burn it and that we bring it before His stone. That's what sacrifice entailed. We understand that, right? But sometimes we're so insulated in our society. But Old Testament sacrifice was graphic. They'd slit the throat of that animal and its blood would be caught in a basin. They would skin that animal. It's basically a butcher shop there. They would skin that animal. They would cut that animal into pieces. They would burn that animal upon the altar and the sweet smell of that meat would rise before God and that's what caused God's judgment to be stayed from falling upon His people. That's what a sacrifice was. When a sacrifice was given, there was no turning back. There was no repairing that. There was no reclaiming. You couldn't give a lamb or a turtle dove to be sacrificed and the next day say, you know what? I want it back. Can I get that back? No, it's already dead, cut up, burned, offered to God. That was in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we don't sacrifice anymore. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our sacrifice. In the Old Testament, that was a picture that God instituted to foreshadow the death, the burial, and the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, who came to die for sinners. And so you and I don't offer a sacrifice anymore. Jesus is our sacrifice. And He ever liveth now in heaven as a mediator between God and us. And that's who we pray to. We pray to the Father through Jesus Christ. And so we don't offer a sacrifice, but a spiritual. That's the word before it, a spiritual sacrifice. Lord, I'm going to give you who I am and all that I am. And when I give it, I realize I am relinquishing my rights to myself. I'm not holding any claim to any area of my life. Lord, you have it all. That's why we sing the great old hymn. All to Jesus. I surrender. All to Him. I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him. In His presence, daily live. We daily come before Him and say, Lord, I am Yours. I am not my own. I have sacrificed all of my rights to You. I am a spiritual sacrifice. Use me as You please. Spiritual sacrifice speaks of holy activity. Holy worship that's Empowered by the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. This is the believer's selfless and complete worship of our holy God. It is complete and utter devotion to who God is in every aspect of our lives. It is the giving of oneself completely to the service of God. Listen, this is not just what preachers are supposed to do, this is not, this text does not apply to the pastor. Or to the deacon who is to serve. Or to the Sunday school teacher who is to teach. This is a passage for every believer, every child of God that has been saved by the grace of God. God says, I want you to serve me fully and completely without any reservations. And this morning, if you have any area of your life that you've marked off and said, Lord, I will serve you up to this point, but not here then you are in rebellion to the Word of God. You need to repent. Ask God to forgive you. Realize you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And present yourself once again as a spiritual sacrifice. What does he say about it? I'm still in Peter. I'm going to get back to Romans, I promise. But he says this is acceptable to God. It's acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That's how our spiritual sacrifice is seen. God accepts it. God does not accept my service, my worship, my complete and total sacrifice of all of my hopes, my dreams, and my desires to Him because of who I am. He doesn't accept it because I'm special or because I know something more than anyone else or because of who I am or where I came from. God accepts our sacrifice on this one single basis by Jesus Christ. Based on the fact that Jesus died for us and God is pleased with all that His Son did, so God says, I will receive your service. What a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. The word acceptable, I looked it up, it means to receive to oneself with pleasure. When something is acceptable... It is something that is received to somebody else with pleasure. How many of you went to your favorite restaurant and ordered your favorite dish and it came out and it wasn't what it was supposed to be? It wasn't cooked like they cooked it the last time. It wasn't prepared the way they normally prepare it. Maybe the cook was sick or they got fired and they hired somebody else and the steak was a little too rare. Just like Priscilla likes it. You know, maybe the meat was a little more tough. You're receiving something, but it's not acceptable. Take that back. Cook that some more. You need you need to change. Something's not right. I, I don't I don't receive that with pleasure, do we? In fact, sometimes we can lose our testimony if we're not careful, can't we? Understand, that poor server, it's not his or her fault that that thing didn't come out right. (laughs) They did it back in the kitchen. Be kind to your server. No, no, we understand what it means to be acceptable, something that's pleasing. Listen to me. This is what he's saying. God is pleased. When we bring ourselves to God, as Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 is telling us this morning, and we present ourselves and we say, Lord, here I am, He says, This is acceptable. This is acceptable to God. This is pleasing to God. God receives that with pleasure. Isn't it good to know this morning? Isn't it good to have the assurance that God is pleased with the spiritual service that He finds in the heart and in the life of every believer for Jesus' sake? That you'll never come before God in an act of service, in an act of surrender, or in an act of sacrifice and say, Lord, I want to honor You. I want to live for You. I want to do for You. And God say, ah, I'm not interested. That's not real pleasing. I don't accept this. Isn't it good to know He'll always accept that because of Jesus Christ? Well, there's many different kinds of sacrifices. We could get into that this morning. We don't have time. There's a sacrifice of our lips, even praise unto God the Bible speaks about. That's where we use our lips to praise God. When we sung this morning, as we sung, that was praises being given to God. That's acceptable to the Lord. When we pray, our prayers are acceptable. That's a form of service, Christian service. When we talk to God and we bear our burdens and we intercede on the behalf of others and their needs, that is a acceptable sacrifice a spiritual sacrifice when we love others more than we love ourselves oh are we ever more like christ than in that moment when we set our own desires and affections aside to minister to someone else that is a spiritual service that is acceptable what we are doing here this morning according to the word of god is a service that is acceptable living a holy life a godly life abstaining from sin Honoring God, putting Him first, all of these things are spiritual sacrifices. But mind you, they must all be done by selfless acts of worship. They have to be done in a selfless manner. Not, not for what I can get out of it, not so that I can be seen of men, but just simply so that I can serve and honor my God. Let's come back to our text this morning. The Bible says, this is our reasonable service. It's reasonable to relinquish our rights, our hopes, our desires to God and to surrender all that we are and will ever be to His will. That's right. Young people, listen to me. It is right to serve God even when you're young. It is right to surrender everything that you are and everything that you have and every hope and dream that you've ever thought of, dreamed of, and longed for to God and say, God, you know what? My life is in Your hands and if this is what You want, that's great, but if not, don't let it come to pass. I want Your will for my life. That's what He's saying in the text. And if you can't say that truthfully from your heart, then we need to ask God to give us the grace to say it. Because this is the result of knowing God, it is the result of the gospel, it is the result of experiencing God's grace. We serve Him, and our act of service is selfless, sacrificial, it is surrender. You know, this is exactly opposite of the day and age in which we live. This is the very opposite of what is being promoted today by most churches and most most of those that are spiritual leaders. We hear that in order to really have victory in the Christian life, on the one hand, you have to get more God, or on the other hand, you have to have a better estimation of your own worth. In other words, you've got to see yourself better than you currently do. You need more self-esteem. That's contrary to the Word of God. But what does the Bible say? It isn't a matter of affirming your own value. It isn't a matter of seeking something more. It's a matter of presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. That is the sum of these first 11 chapters. This is not some arbitrary thought that the Apostle Paul pulled out of thin air to impose upon God's people. This is the consummation. This is the conclusion of the great doctrines that he's already dealt with. And when our minds and hearts receive and understand them, the natural response of a believer is service. The conclusion is this we give everything that we have, we give it all back to him. This is the end of the matter. The supreme act of every believer is spiritual worship. Are you doing this today, child of God? And if not, why? If not, why? I say with the Apostle Paul, I beseech you, brethren, do this! Now listen, I'm not telling you something that I think is easy. I'm just going to confess from my own experience this isn't an easy thing. Because we're living sacrifices, you know what we have a tendency to do? We have the tendency to do this. Come to church on Sunday, hear a message, get in the altar, weep and pray and lay it all out to God and say, I'm yours. But on Monday morning we've picked it back up and we've carried ourselves back out and said, you know what, I'm going to live for me another week. And the preacher's just as susceptible to that as you are. This requires a daily, daily, daily Dying to oneself, saying, Lord, I am a sacrifice. I I give myself to You. Remind me throughout the day that I am not my own, but I am bought with a price. It is not easy, but it is absolutely necessary if we are ever going to know the fullness of the blessing of God to be able to render to Him service that is due Him and bring glory to His name. The giving of ourselves totally unto the Lord is absolutely necessary necessary and sadly most Christians never really come to this place of full surrender they never will they're going to go throughout their life flirting with the world they'll flirt with the flesh they'll flirt with their own personal indulgences and desires and lusts they become victims of philosophy and false religion They buy into the world's system. They entertain themselves with the world's modes of entertainment. They think along the lines of worldly wisdom instead of biblical knowledge and understanding. And so they never really come to the place of total commitment that is discussed in these two verses. And therefore, they forfeit the fullness of the blessing of God upon their life. Don't be that Christian. Don't be that person that lives a mundane Christian existence in this world, and dies and goes to glory, and stands before the Lord with shame, as all of your works burn up as wood, hay, and stubble. But leave this world on a fiery bed, blazing for the glory of God, a life burned out in the service of the Lord. Well, I've preached the message really in the introduction, but I'm going to give you the four points that I had. And they're right here from the text. I want you to notice, first of all, there's a plea to respond. There's a plea here to respond to, to which you and I must respond. What is the plea? It's in verse 1. He says, I beseech you, brethren. It's a personal plea. He says you. Listen to me, I'm not talking to your children. I'm not talking to your wife. I'm not talking to your husband. I'm not talking to your parents. I'm talking to you. The Spirit of the living God is talking to each and every one of us individually. Paul said, I beseech you. 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 Me. That we all, individually and even in a cumulative way, surrender ourselves to God personally. Say, Lord, I am yours. I'll do whatever you'd have me to do. It's a plea of personal surrender, and it requires a response. Also, it is a plea that is one that has a sense of familiarity to it as he calls them brethren. He says, Brethren, this is a term of kinship. He's not just talking to lost people. I don't expect lost people to come to God and say, I'll serve you. I'll do whatever you want me to do and go wherever you'd have me to go. I don't expect that. They don't have Christ living in them. They've not been indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. They've not been quickened from their dead, trespasses, and sin. But you and I who are saved have been. If there be any spiritual life in us at all, this really ought to resonate with us. Brethren, brethren, by the mercies of God, everything that chapters one to eleven tell us and it could be all summed up in this phrase, the mercies of god it 's where he found us it 's what he 's done for us, how he 's working our lives it 's his plan over all of humanity, all time, including us, oh, the mercies of God. This is the plea that we are to respond to is based upon God's mercy toward you. Has God shown you mercy? Has He shown you grace? Has He loved you in spite of yourself and in spite of your devotion and in spite of your service to God? Then He says, I beseech you to do this. There's a plea to respond to. There is a presentation of resignation. We are to present ourselves and in that presentation, this is what we're doing. Lord, I'm resigning all my rights to You. Again, the word presentation is akin to the word offer. It means to come before the Lord as the Old Testament priest did with that sacrifice and say, here's what I've brought. It's Yours. We are to present ourselves and say, Lord, this is what I've brought. There's not much to me. That ain't much to offer. It's a pretty poor sacrifice, really. But it's all I have, and it's yours. God says, I'll accept that. Why? For Christ's sake. For Christ's sake, I'll accept that. We are to offer, we are to relinquish our rights to the Lord and say, Lord, whatever you would have, present ourselves. It was a word often used as well as military whenever they were called to present themselves to their superiors. It's almost like this, as a Christian you and I are called upon by the Word of God to come to the Lord, snap to attention, raise our hand in salute and say, I am reporting for duty, sir. And Whatever he asks, you don't talk back. Those of you in the military, did you ever get a command and say, well, I don't feel like doing that today, boss, got anything else for me to do? After you picked yourself up off the ground, I'm sure there wouldn't have been any change in the command that was given. That's what the Lord's calling us to do. Present yourself. And this is what He says about that presentation. That it is wholly acceptable unto God. God is very pleased with this. It is an unworldly presentation when a man or a woman by the grace of God is compelled to come and bow their knee to God and say, Lord, I want to serve You with everything that I am. I want You to rule and reign in my life. Oh, that's acceptable that God says, I'm pleased with that. Remember the rich young ruler, don't you? He tried to impress God with all the things he had done. God said, I'm not, I'm not impressed, I'm not pleased with that. And the one thing God told him to do wasn't willing to do, and it wasn't because of the money, it was because of his heart. His heart didn't truly love the Lord. Number three, there is a pattern to reject. Verse two, he says, and be not conformed. The word conformed means to be brought into line with another or to be brought to the same pattern as another. The world has its own pattern. The world is trying to cookie-cut sinners just like all the other sinners in the world, and the devil does not mind to use your life, to ruin your life, to advance his cause and to bring dishonor to the name of God. He says, be not conformed. Don't be brought into the way of another. Don't be brought under the power of another. Don't get in line. Don't get in lockstep with the world. But go against the world. March against the world. Go the opposite direction that the world is going in. We were in the airport the other day and we were, we had an Uber driver. Whew. Vincent got nervous. That fellow was a-weaving in and out of traffic and a few times I thought we were going the wrong direction. Sometimes those airports are hard to figure out. God wants us to go the opposite direction of whatever direction the world's going and we're going the other way. Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed. Now this carries the idea to be changed into another form. Transformed. Metamorphosis is the word we get in the English from this word in the Greek. We, we are to be transformed, to be changed into the image of another. Whose image are, are we to be changed into? Whose image is God wanting to make us more like? Jesus Christ. So be transformed. He says this by the renewing of your mind. How is your mind renewed? As it is stayed upon the Lord and as it is washed with the water of the Word of God. Then number four, there is proving to reflect. He says this, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word prove there, it Cares the idea of not so much arguing with somebody and winning the argument, I proved you wrong. But it's the idea to just examine something and say, okay, yeah, I see it. It's to be really convinced in yourself. He said that you might be convinced, that you might examine all that God has said already in these previous 11 chapters and come to the conclusion on your own by the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit to say, yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying, God. This is right. This is what I ought to do. May you not leave this place saying, well, the preacher's wanting us to do something else now. Well, the preacher's telling me I need to serve more. Well, the preacher, he kind of, boy, he kind of got on us today, didn't he? No. It's that God would bring us to the conclusion of saying, you know what? Yeah, this is reasonable. I mean, why wouldn't I serve God? He, he saved me. Why wouldn't I serve God? He bought me with a price. Why wouldn't I serve God? I have my identity in the Lord Jesus. I'm a joint heir with Christ. Why wouldn't? that? That's just reasonable. And it's not what the preacher's asking, it's what the Spirit of God is asking. And when we come to that conclusion, it will be reflected in our lifestyle. Notice he says, you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect Will of God. Oh, everybody wants to know, what's God's will for my life? Well, right here's God's will for your life. Give yourself to Him in service. That's the will of God for your life. And if you will commit your ways to God, you will give Him the key to every aspect of your heart and life. Leave no doors locked. No rooms off-limit. God will direct your path. God will guide you throughout life. And it won't be a hard thing to find the will of God because God, as you follow Him, will just direct you into His perfect will for your life day by day. And that's what He's saying. What's the result of grace? That you and I would serve God. Submission to service. Growing Christ-likeness. And a deeper knowledge of God's Word will reveal God's will I want you to notice this in closing the Bible tells us what are the two great commandments to love the Lord our God with what said different ways in different places but basically with all of your soul, body mind and strength you realize all four of those are presented here strength in the in the in the way of will this is what he's saying he said he's saying this serve god with all of your soul that's the first part of verse one by the mercies of god by what god's done for your soul by the spiritual repercussion of god's grace in your life serve god with your soul and if you serve god with your soul then you'll serve god with your what what's the next one your body present your body You'll say, alright God, I'll serve you, I'll live for you, I'll talk for you, I will, I will have ears that listen to you, I will have a mind that thinks upon you, I will have hands and feet that will go about to work for you. And then, he says, serve God with your, your what? What's the next one? It's in verse 2. Mind. That you might be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Serve God with your mind. We have a mind that's been tainted by a sin-cursed world and everywhere we turn we're reminded of what we used to be and we're drawn by the world to go back. But by the Word of God, and by the grace of God, our minds can be renewed, transformed. Serve God with your soul, serve God with your body, serve God with your mind, and then serve God with your will. Be willing to say, all right, Lord, I present myself and I'm going I'm to follow you and I'm going to prove what's right. I'm going I'm to prove it to myself by examining the Word of God and I'm going to be so confident and so convinced that what you say is right that it won't be something I'm made to do. It's something I'm willing to do. And God will make us willing to serve Him. Are you serving God today? If you are, it's because of this one reason. Hear me out. It's because God in His mercy revealed Himself to you one day as a sinner. He showed you you were lost on your way to hell. He convicted you of your sin through the preaching of His Word. But in that conviction, He didn't leave you to yourself and He didn't leave you alone. But He brought the great comfort that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. He died so that you could be forgiven of your sin. And in light of that truth that Jesus died for you, You responded with faith and you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You turned from your sin, you trusted Him completely, and you were saved by God's grace. And now you're living for Jesus because of what He's done for you. And He says, in light of all of that, serve me with all of your heart. Are you serving Him today? If you're not, it may be that you need to be saved. Maybe today God has revealed all that Christ has done for you on the cross. Would you come and would you trust Him? Would you place your faith in Jesus Christ? He is a merciful God. You, you haven't sinned too much that God can't save you. You haven't gone too far that God's not willing to redeem you. But the only thing that will stand between you and God and your condition will be your own pride. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Realize this, He means you no harm. And though you may have to be humbled in your pride, God will exalt you in His grace. You'd be far better off to go to heaven with a humble heart than to go to hell full of pride. Come to Christ in faith today. Child of God, surrender your heart to Him in service completely. And honor Him with all that you have and all that you are. Don't put anything off limits to God. And then you will experience what it is to know the will of God and to live a powerful Christian life. Let's all stand this morning. Thank you for your attention to the Word of God. And I'm going to just take a moment, if you need to respond to the Word of God, if you need to come and pray, if you need to seek the Lord, if you need counsel, I'm available. We want the Lord to help you today. We want the Lord to help us all today. We want to go further with the Lord. I trust that is your desire today. If God's dealing with you, please, please, respond that's the the text this morning that's just what's in the text and it's what god has for us and we need to give uh, heed to the word of god to us and